Greetings, programs, and welcome back to a new edition of the Awesome Friday Podcast. It is now September, the year of our Swift 2023, and uh, we are entering fall movie season. Uh, so naturally, we're catching up with some summer movies that we missed. Uh, I'm your host, my name is Matthew, and with me today, uh, as is de rigueur, Simon. Uh, say hello, hello. Simon. Hello, it's lovely, nice. It's lovely, nice. It's lovely to be back, and thank you again to Rachel for stepping in for me last week while I was camping in Tofino. I just want to request that you don't edit out your tuba noises you were making before your introduction to warm your mouth up. Uh, that's adorable, so please keep that in. <laughs> and and if we're in full movie season, which is also adorable, uh, I uh, that that makes me chuckle. Because I've made precisely one joke on um, Letterbox, and that's to make a public playlist of full movies, and the only movie in it is the movie Fall, which I thought was really, really funny. <laughs> but uh, that's the beginning and the end of my jokes on Letterbox. But that's a great movie. I'd watch that again. Yes, as we are rolling into the autumnal autumn season, we Indeed. can think about all the things that come with it. The leaves are changing color, and the films are getting more Oscar baity. <laughs> and uh, that's, how yeah. you tell, that's how the two ways you can tell that it's the fall season. It is. Uh, is the, Another leaves, you can tell. the leaves in the film and the timber of the, the, tim- the, timber of the films. The timber of the timber. Another way you can tell it's almost autumn is when you are sleeping in a car park in Tofino. Uh, you are cold all night. Like literally freezing cold all night. I don't You're know just... if you've tried camp- camping in a tent. But uh, I made the mistake of thinking that I would have battle to be cool. Like, how am I going to stay cool? It's so hot during the day. Turns out, when you're on the, uh, what is that, the western coast of Vancouver Island, and there's nothing between you and the Pacific, uh, it gets really fucking cold. So I was um, I was freezing every night. That but, sounds like uh, you perhaps this... you perhaps brought the wrong equipment, sir. I, I mean, this does not surprise me. This is my third time camping ever. The other experiences have been horrific. And uh, this was like 90% awesome and 10% horrific. So I feel like we're moving <laughs> in the right direction. It's weird, actually, because it was described as a campground. It was actually a car park. It was like a gravel car park where ev- with lots of like lots that which had these little tree boundaries. But... You were yeah, basically it's, camp, it's a camp, camped. That's a, that's a campground. I mean, the only one I've been to in BC was uh, Golden Ears, uh, which was the the second time I went camping. And the reason that was horrific is that my son had, when he was probably about three, had too many s'mores, and at two in the morning started like vomiting, like exorcist style vomiting in the tent, <laughs> and I was frozen all night looking after him. So luckily that didn't happen again. But I was in Golden Ears. You have this little glade. Every spot is like a glade. And you've got like forest between you and everyone else. So you can kind of uh, have that experience of, of maybe, maybe I am camping in the outback, but this was like you're in a car park. <laughs> you're next to a million. And all the clever people have like mobile apartments on wheels. And there's us in our tent sleeping on the floor, uh, mixing with all the people. But um, it was nice. It was a, Everyone was really nice. It was a family campground. So it had a hard like music off at 10, all noise off at 11. Uh, security all night so and it was all gated in so all the kids could bike around and it was really really nice and um i mean you're just uh, describing a campground to me like this is, is, is what this they, right it's just what just what they are like it there's two really, kinds you're either camping in the forest or you're camping right. at a well manicured campground right i kind those of are, those are the options grass maybe or ground but no it was nice no bears which was good and it was kind of a reminder of how nice it is to be in kind of a community of of like like-minded people that was quite nice although i did feel very very english when um one <laughs> the, the times i feel most english isn't when my accent is misunderstood it's when i say things like uh, a, a girl was sat on a park bench and she had this beautiful golden retriever and i say hello to all dogs that's what i do and he said hello to me and i was like oh what's his name and she said oh He's called Tron. I was like, oh, that's nice. She said, yeah, it's short for Megatron. And I went, oh, cool. Are you evil? Are you the evil leader of the Decepticons? She's like, no, he's a he's a good dog. And I'm like, what? 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 But you've named him they're Megatron. All, what what are all, the Megatron? They're all, they're all good dogs. They're all but, good dogs. Uh, so I'm like, I almost did my Megatron voice, like, prime at this dog. And um, the 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 boyfriend came over and was like, is, uh, "This 
he's got Megatron. He's like, so apparently there's an NFL player <laughs> who has the nickname Megatron, and they named they named their dog after their favorite NFL player. He has the what? nickname Megatron. Megatron. And, and so when I walked over and went, are you the evil leader of the Decepticons to this dog? The look on this poor woman's face. She's like, no, he's he's a good dog. I mean, so I'm just Googling this now because I'm, uh, uh, spoiler alert, I am not uh, a North American football fan, per se. I, I'm aware of its existence and I know how it works, right. but I'm not a fan. But yes, apparently Calvin Johnson Jr. has the nickname right. Megatron. Which is <laughs> which is after Megatron? The it is after the character of the same name from Transformers. Right. So I just I just felt suddenly you know when you make a very specific reference, thinking it's an absolute lock, and they've never heard of it at all. So yeah, but um, that's not that's not an English thing. That's just a that's just a I'm just a, awkward. Just a fandom difference, we'll say. Yeah, just very uh, but but really, it was lovely. The uh, the, um, the campground had a path directly onto a beach, a beautiful beach, and. I've been to Fino before and didn't really get it last time, but I got it this time. This time, if you're into like surfing or any kind of water activities, it's like paradise. It's actually it's a really there. great place. Uh, I so I'm not into those things, but what I what I do like is if you can if you can afford it because I don't think it's an appropriate way to camp, but it's also a great place to be like in a in a hotel with a lot of windows during storm season. It's mm-hmm. pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, just to like sit back and like watch the sea, you know, rage yeah. against the shore, um, yeah. and write dark, foreboding, existential poetry uh, wow. or whatever you're gonna do. Wow, um, that's that the place. place <laughs> that's the place to do it. You know, um, I, like if if I was gonna write one of the two movies we're gonna talk about today, I would have done it in Tofino in a rocking chair facing a wall of windows during storm absolutely. season. Absolutely, uh, it's uh, it's it's, it's, it's just beautiful. It was it was my son's paradise because he's not a city boy at all. He just wants to be in the countryside and do countryside things. And he was biking around and went down to the beach and just went in rock pools and showed me all this cool stuff he's found in rock pools. And it's just he doesn't ever want to go to school. He just wants to exist in that area, in that area and just learn about nature. And he had, he was really upset when we left. And we went to Nanaimo then uh, for a night, thank God, in a hotel. Um, before our boat because the the roads are fucked so we were worried that some of our friends had either been stopped for 20 minutes or seven hours so we didn't want that to be us rushing for the ferry so we went the night before yeah um and in nanaimo i'm sure as i'm sure you know but i i hadn't seen it before uh there's a, a really awesome play park and then next to it is a crabbing uh, do, uh like a pier where you can go out crabbing Yep. And then next to it is a beach full of like like just oysters everywhere and starfish everywhere. And my son is just like absolute heaven. He he desperately wants to go crabbing and fishing. So of course he's You can go crabbing here in Vancouver, you know, like you can buy a crab I don't trap. Know where, just, though. Where, you can literally just go down to like any pier. Um like if you go down to like Vanier Park or anything west of that in Vancouver. This is getting very Vancouver specific, dear listeners. Right. Uh but I need to do yes, that you can but you can buy a crab trap uh, and you can toss it off a pier. Uh, right. We actually, we actually, that was one of our, uh, when I got married, that was one of our wedding gifts was we, uh, we got like a guided crab, crab catching oh, uh, right. day. And yeah, you can just, you can just toss the trap off and, uh, and, and yes. wait basically. I should look into that because I definitely feel the guilt of him, him living in the city where all of this cool nature stuff isn't at his doorstep is is filling me with guilt at the moment. So I need to find. Um, well, maybe I'll me. maybe I'll take him fishing sometime. Because nice. um, I I went home to Salt Spring this this weekend for a grand total yes. of like twenty five hours, which is a bit of a whirlwind trip. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's, I could you can do all of those things where I'm from, <laughs> and it turns out. And, like, I knew this philosophically and emotionally and, cog- like, I knew this on every level, but, like, I, this time, because I was short on, going to be short on time, I I flew to Salt Spring with, on a seaplane, uh, which turns out is an amazing way to travel. And it is ten times more expensive than taking the ferry. Um, but, as I was explaining earlier, coming home last night took five hours. Like, door-to-door was five hours. And, with, and flying oh. to there... The other day, door to door was two hours. So some, <laughs> even yeah. though even though it's like you know one hundred and seventy five dollars versus twenty, 
uh, to walk on the ferry. It's uh, sort of seems worth it when you consider the three hours of time that you save and also the fact that the plane holds, I think, a grand total of 18 people uh, as opposed to the ferries, which hold anywhere from 300 to 2,000. And it's just, you know, nobody likes people, right? That's why we... (laughs) (laughs) But you you especially don't like people. No, that's because they're the worst. Aren't they? Yeah. Sorry, so I'm I've, talking to my I'm talking to my cat right now. She's she's nodding with agreement. But I yeah. have I have a larger kind of a related question for you is that I'm I'm in a point right now where I'm kind of done with Vancouver as the city. Um, and having spent a week first of all in this beautiful like beachside area and then in Nanaimo, which just felt uh, had lots more like nature opportunities and it was a lot more like karma. Uh, so I, I've been speaking to my wife, like, what if we moved to like, somewhere like Roberts Creek on the Sunshine Coast or even Vancouver Island, just to have that, that more nature seaside, beachy, like, uh, environment for our kids. I, she won't do it because she's established a, a, a very, she's fought very hard to establish a career in Vancouver and understandably doesn't want to give that up. So my question for you is like, you grew up in that amazing like all not off the grid but compared to vancouver a a very different lifestyle and uh i i feel like i really want to get to that lifestyle at the moment so having grown up in that lifestyle do you feel a similar kind of urge when you go back to go back to that simplicity or the quieter environment or the, the the more nature around you uh i mean i like small town living if that's what you're asking yes uh, and I would like to move back to it at some point, and we probably, we probably will end up on Vancouver Island at some point. Uh, is my assumption at this point. Um, I'm not super. I'm not, I'm not super outdoorsy, but I do enjoy like hiking and fishing and that kind of stuff. And there's definitely more opportunity. Like there's lots of that kind of stuff in Vancouver, but it's all very overrun with people, and I mm. prefer the vibe. Uh, on Vancouver Island and Salt Spring a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. The one thing I would say is that it was a pretty great way to grow up, and I feel like I have a different outlook on the world compared to... I mean, honestly, like, not not to make it sound like it's a bad thing, but, like, you especially in that, like... um, And, like, your kids, because, like, when they're in trouble or if they need to blow off steam, they don't really have anywhere to go, whereas, like, I was just kicked outside. Like, I was a very free-range child. We lived at the top of a mile-long road that was a 45-degree angle up the side of a mountain. And I knew every inch of that mile. Uh, And within, like, two to to 500 yards on either side of it. Because when I grew up, there was also no one. The neighborhood my dad still lives in is full of houses now. But when I was a kid, it wasn't. It was just, like, forest and creeks. And so, uh, and they didn't, you know, it was the 80s. So they just were like, go outside and don't come back. Like when the sun goes, when the sun, you know, is, uh, you know, if you hold up your hand to the, to the horizon and the sun is hitting the other side of your hand, then that's when you can come home. <laughs> so yeah, it was a, a different way to grow up for sure. Uh, compared to anyone who lives here. Um, and I don't miss that exactly, but I do miss the vibe. The one, the one thing that I would say, obviously having spent, cause you know, I go back and we go to. Vancouver Island fairly regularly is that uh, as a kid, I would say the one thing that you're going to miss out on if you move your kids, especially to somewhere like, say, Parksville or Nanaimo or Roberts Creek, um, is that the further away from a place like Vancouver you get, the less diverse it is. Mm. And I would legitimately say that that is a problem is the wrong word, but it is definitely going to be a thing to contend with that can, it can be a problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause there's just like the place where, where I grew up is just the whitest place in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe second whitest after where my in-laws currently live. Yeah, and, yeah. and to me now living in Vancouver, like when we go out to, there's actually a really nice little brew pub that opened up in, um, in the place where my in-laws live. And I find it legitimately shocking when we go in there and it's full of people and they are, they're just all white it's and it's weird like it's i find it i just find I feel, I feel like there's definitely an age at which kids need exposure to other other culture and other people and other ideas and 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 other mm-hmm. just to know that people are all different and uh, they're just not going to get that in a place like vancouver island 
outside mm -hmm. of maybe Metro Nanaimo or, or like Metro Victoria, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and like I say, I don't think, I'm not trying to say that like everyone on the island is racist or anything like that. That's definitely not true, but there's just, if you're fully immersed with one group of people, then it can be difficult to adapt to a different group of people. And I feel like that's a useful life skill. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, totally. I would, I would love to move to Victoria, but as a part of a family who are currently going back to the UK every two years, just moving to the island, I know would add several layers of complication. At the moment, we're twenty minutes from the airport, <laughs> and uh, and I know. Um, well, it's one layer because Victoria has an international. Victoria has an international airport. You would just yeah almost certainly have to transfer planes in in Vancouver. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, shall we talk about our movies? Now we've waxed lyrical about all the things missing from our lives. Let's talk about <laughs> the movies. Uh, yeah, just to get some housekeeping out of the way first. Um, mm -hmm. So for those of us, for those of you who are our, our patron supporters, just a heads up, there's not going to be a bonus episode this week uh, for time-related reasons, but there will be again next week uh, if all goes to plan. So apologies for that. Um, but if you like what you hear, we do have a Patreon. You can support us at patreon.com slash mcsimpson. Um, and you can also find streaming links for both of the shows, both of the movies we're going to be talking about this week uh, on the homepage for this episode, which will be in the show notes. And if you use those links in our show notes to go to the streaming places um, and buy or rent or whatever the movies, uh, that helps us keep the lights on. So, you know, please do that. Um, and last but not least, uh, the, today, uh, the day we're recording is September the 3rd, and as of today, both the ongoing WGA strike and SAG after strikes are, uh, I mean, they're ongoing, and uh, uh, none, neither of the stuff, neither of the shows or movies we're going to talk about today would be possible without the love, care, attention, and skill, and talent of all of the writers and performers who are in them. And uh, we hope that the AMPTP comes back to the table soon in a meaningful way, uh, because they have not done that so far. Also uh, extended to video game acting as well this week. Because, yeah, it's uh, true. The yeah. the WGA uh, unanimously, the board of the WGA unanimously voted to authorize a strike vote, which has a deadline, a voting deadline of the 25th of this month for all performers who are primarily video game focused or who are working in video games as performers um, because apparently their deal has been extended several times. That's the, I think it's called the IMA, the something media agreement um, has been extended several times with no meaningful up updates. Uh, uh, and they just haven't been negotiating good faith there either. So uh, yeah, hot labor summer, hot labor summer continues. This will shock uh, you, but they, they went to negotiate with EA, and EA rejected everything outright. And so they were like, okay, then, fuck you guys. <laughs> we're striking. I know it's, it's very un-EA to refuse anything like that. That's really interesting, because and if you go on social media, you can find a great clip of Adam Driver of, uh, talking about this. But um, So Adam Driver is at Venice right now, and he's allowed to be at Venice promoting. He's in a film called Ferrari, where he plays... Enzo Ferrari, um, and he's allowed to be there right now. It's not breaking a strike because the company that produced the film he's in, which I believe is A2, A24, it's either A24 or STX International. I can't remember which one. But the point is, they have agreed to literally all the terms the WGA and SAG-AFTRA want. They, uh, and in doing so, SAG-AFTRA and WGA have removed those companies from their struck company list. So the actors are able to go and talk about the movies and make the appearances and the, the promotions that the current the big studios are currently missing. And the question here is if A24 and SDS International, which are not huge companies, like if they can if they can make these deals, if they can agree to all these terms, why can't Disney, the single largest entertainment conglomerate <laughs> on the face of the earth, and why can't Netflix and why can't Amazon? Um and uh, the reason is they just don't want to. Um, yeah. They have no. They just. They, they just don't. To sit out. Yeah, and uh, and I think they just. It, it's it. It betrays a lack of um, respect and understanding of how media works, 
And I think it also betrays the fact that like the the heads of those companies like Disney and Amazon uh, and Netflix are all billionaire tech bros and not film executives like the people who run smaller uh, studios like E24 and STX mm-hmm. and uh, and Neon and all these companies that have agreed. You know, like it's uh, mm-hmm. it's very very interesting to see that line being drawn um but anyway the strike's still on and uh we obviously stand with the writers and performers and uh we we hope to get a deal but i'm not holding my breath as they're gonna get a day to time soon yeah so yeah i don't i just don't know i don't know i really hope that it works out for the actors and writers because it's the the big studios have very clearly said they're just going to sit out and let people lose their homes, let people starve. Like that's their plan. Have, so the other the thing that's very useful to me, the thing that gives me hope, is that they keep pulling this all this strike busting bullshit. Even as recently as this week, they put out a deal. They put you know they 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 go into negotiation and then they say, you know, they make a part of the deal that the negotiations can't be made public and then when it doesn't go their way they leak it anyway like they break their own word and their stated hope is that it'll sow division within the wga and within sag after so that like the rank and file might be like take the deal you know we want the deal we just want to get back to work take the deal and perhaps take a deal their hope is that they'll take a deal that's not as good as the one they want like right not as good as the one the actors and writers want um, but the writers have been walking around together on strike picket lines for over a hundred days <laughs> and the actors are over two months now and they're all talking to one another and realizing that maybe like, no, like this is just bullshit from the studio. This is just bullshit strike busting. And I think it's really interesting and important. It's a really great example of the, how social media can be actually very important in these things because every time this happens, it gets outed and people and the just regular people like you and I are like, well, that's bullshit. You know, we're not just relying on like the last big strike. And I spoke about this with Rachel last week a little bit. The last big strike was right before the era of social media. And so the only narrative we got was the one in the trades and the trades are part of the problem, right? Like they are, they are also media conglomerates. Some of them are owned by studios. So it's very like one sided and you can see that, in reporting from like Variety and Deadline and The Hollywood Reporter and all of those places, you can just see it in the way they write their headlines. They have a clear like management bias, right? But social media is allowing allowing the, the counter narrative to get out that like, no, this is bullshit, <laughs> and uh, and you love to see it because it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I I sincerely hope I think it's it feels like the writers and actors are all in very much in solidarity with uh, themselves, like. The unions are all very much on the same page uh, in terms of like the rank and file. So I hope, and and there seem to have lots of many you know of the very successful actors giving huge donations to keep them taken care of on the picket line. So uh, my hope is that they get everything they ask for. And again, like yeah. if they can get everything they if they can get if if A two four and SDX can can give them everything they're asking for, then Disney, Netflix, Amazon, Warner Brothers. Paramount, all of them can. It's just not a question. Especially when you consider that it amounts to like less than 1% of their annual revenue. It's mm. it's crazy. Mm. Anyway, I could rant about this for ages, and I have. So let's move <laughs> on. Um, let's move on talk about some movies. Uh, okay. So we're going to talk about two movies that came out on streaming in the last week or so. Um, both of which are... are uh, I would say they're reasonable. I don't know if they're hits from the summer, but they're reasonably well-received movies from the summer. Um, uh, one is a horror movie and one is an animated kids movie. And let's talk about the horror movie first. I don't know. Sure. Uh, let's talk about the horror movie yeah. first. So okay, cool. um, the, f- the first movie we're going to talk about is called The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Um, this is directed by, and I'm so sorry, I cannot pronounce this person's name. Um, it's Andre over over that I think over Yes, perfect. Over yeah, um, 
He's Norwegian. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I have trouble with Norwegian names. Um, and it is in, it's an adaptation of one chapter of the novel Dracula. <laughs> uh, and it is the, it is the chapter um, where Dracula is being transported from Romania to England on a boat in a crate. And uh, if you've read the book, which I have, but not recently, um, the chapter is basically just like the captain's log of this ship, which is, and it's basically like, we left Romania, and then like, oh, somebody died, and oh, there's an evil on this ship, and then the ship like runs aground in England, and everybody's gone. Yes. Uh, and that's the whole setup. And honestly, that's a pretty great setup for a movie. I don't know if you're aware of this, but like, that's a pretty great setup for a movie, and it has been it's done before. It's a great chapter. Yes, it has. It's a really great chapter. It's a really it's great a chapter. And it's uh, the movie, as it turns out, is basically just what if we made Alien but put it on a sailing ship? <laughs> it really is, with with a couple of like exact shots as well from Alien, which I yeah. think is probably it feels intentional as a love letter to Alien rather than ripping off Alien. So I didn't mind, but it is very much Alien on a boat. I mean, it makes it actually honestly makes me wonder if like the guys who made alien read this book and were like, that was a great chapter. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yes. oh, that's um, interesting. but, uh, so yeah, the, the story uh, picks up. Um, it starts in media res, uh, with the Demeter washed ashore in England and someone picking up the captain's log and finding like boarding the ship and finding that it's empty and there's like blood and gore everywhere. Um, and then it cuts back to a couple of weeks before where the Demeter is taking on crew and cargo, um, and about to set sail for England. And the main thing they take on board is these, uh, uh, 50 crates from uh, an unnamed rich person. And they also take on board, um, uh, a young man named Clemens, who's played by Corey Hawkins, who is, uh, he's a black, he's obviously a black man because it's Corey Haw Hawkins, who is a... Uh, doctor and accomplished, I don't know if he's an accomplished sailor, but he certainly knows his way around a boat. Um, and he's like the audience insert character for us. And um, then they set sail and then people start dying. And I don't really want to spoil it because uh, most of this movie is very fun. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a great film or, or like going to change the way that we view horror films or anything like that. But like, if you want to watch a movie where there's a monster stalking a bunch of people, some of whom are very stupid, uh, in, in a closed location in the dark, uh, you could do a lot worse would be the way I would say it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a couple of great performances. I think, uh, Corey Hawkins is holds his own very well. I, I really like Aisling, uh, Franciosi, um, who plays uh, sort of like she's she's on the ship. She was in one of the crates. She turns out to have been like a sacrificial person for for Dracula. Um, the captain this is, of the boat this is to go mail. Yeah, uh, captain. The captain of the boat is played by character actor Liam Cunningham. First mate is David Desmalchian, Um with like the best bad Romanian accent you can imagine, Russian accent you can imagine, <laughs> and. Uh, Basically, you just watch all these character actors like react to a monster, and the monster design is also I th think really interesting, like really good, um, in terms of like the sort of Nosferatu design of like a half man, half bat. I think this one uh, is uh, interestingly, what's the word I'm trying to look for? It's interesting and intricate, while also not feeling like a major departure from that classic design. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, I, what, what can I say? I like this movie except for the very end. <laughs> yeah. So here's the problem. I really, really like this film. I think I liked it more than you did. Um, the, I love alien. I love things trapped on a thing with a thing. <laughs> like, yeah. like the thing, or like people trapped in a place. There's no hope, but they got to work together, and the thing is picking them off one by one. Sign me up. Like I love, I just love that as a concept. So, uh, I think it works really. Like Stoker knew what he was doing. It works really, really well on a boat, and it's a really great chapter that's been uh, expanded on. And this is actually quite 
close to the book in some regards, and then it um, it leaves out some of the, uh, the the first mate in the book actually uh, has a, a different, slightly different fate than in this one. It's a bit more um, direct in in the in the film, but that's fine. That's what you'd expect. And I do like how the the, the Dracula, it is Dracula, um, uh, is this classic Nosferatu, and they. I'm in two minds about it because the reason you can see the design is that you see Dracula pretty clearly from early on. And I think this is one of the big departures from Alien, who, uh, which in turn learnt a lot from Jaws, and that's you don't, you shouldn't show too much too soon, right? There was very it. little, it's very little for your imagination to fill in the gaps here because you kind of see him uh, in Moonlight, in, in like sh- streaks of moonlight pretty early on. Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this a lot because there was another movie I watched recently that definitely has this problem. It's the classic, like, once you can see the monster, it's not scary mm-hmm. uh, problem. And it's it's fa- very famously actually something that the, the people making Alien realized during production. So, like, when they were making Alien, there's actually a lot more of of the alien in the original script and in the original like assembly cut of the movie that they were like, this, this isn't scary. And they made it scary basically by cutting out every scene, every wide angle shot and every, uh, and almost every scene of the alien. And, um, and you're right. I think this one, you do maybe see a little bit too much of Dracula, but I'm, I'm actually a little bit willing to forgive it because it's such a classic design. Like they're not trying to hide any weird twist or it's not a new thing that you need to be scared of. Like you already know what it's going to look like. Um, and so they're, they're able to focus on just creating that atmosphere and like, you know, what's coming. And I think that's a good choice. And I also think, you know, it's not like, not to say that the monster here is like a fully fleshed out character, but there are definitely moments where you realize that like it is a conscious being with a internal thoughts. It can speak. And so I think in showing it a little more, they give it a little more, a little bit more opportunity for it to like, to say things. And I think that that's also, it's a bit, it's a bit more of, it's not just a nameless faceless shape in the, in the dark. It is a thing that is actively taunting them. Like it's not like a manifestation of pure id, like like the alien with the xenomorph is, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. this is an act a being that's like actively uh, hunting them. Uh, and in fact, it's even called out at one point that they're like, it's like that it's just rationing them. Like it's only eating one of them a day, <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. because it like needs to survive all the way to England. Like it's actively mm-hmm. rationing them as well. And um, I think that all those choices are good ones. I think that the movie is not incredible um but like i also would say that it is very very it's very good it's very fun there's um i always like liam cunningham um i think that there's maybe the 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 nosferatu is maybe a little bit too much cg at certain points um for me personally uh but also in a way where like i don't really know how else you would do it uh, in those times. Um, and yeah, I don't know, man, it's a good movie. It's, and and here's the thing. It also works really hard for the R rating that it has. And I think that that is a thing we don't get enough of these days. Um, cause there's some, there's some pretty exquisite gore, uh, in, in a couple of the kills are very brutal. And one thing it gets really, really right is that, um, Dracula is a book about sex and penetration and bloodletting. And the, the thing about Dracula feeding is that it is so close to like loving sexual embrace. And it, and it's the whole book is about this, um, paranoia about sexual diseases and, and, uh, uh, and young women, it's no coincidence that when they get turned, they suddenly become these sexual objects. So, like, young women with sexual freedom is the scariest thing. And when Dracula feeds in in this movie, I think that it makes some really, really smart directorial choices with the gore that you mentioned, but also with the shots and that they are there's um, there's lots of embracing and and uh, holding while mm-hmm. during the drinking with the person actually awake and feeling it and i think it captures that very weird sexiness that's very uh 
at the core of, of what Dracula is. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. That was really good. You're not wrong. There's definitely a uh, in in lesser vampire films. It's often like the vampire like bites the mm. neck and like takes one big drink and then the person's dead and that's the end of it. And yeah. this is very much like Dracula tackles you and holds you down and sucks your mm. blood out for. Um, Long enough that some people might be uncomfortable with it. We'll say. Um, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit rapey. Yeah, it's a bit rapey, and um, yeah, I think that's also super smart. And I think I think they get the atmosphere right. And I don't know how you market this film. I think like it's not, it hasn't done incredibly well yeah. at the box office. Um, but also like, how do you market a film that is? an adaptation of a single chapter of a classic book and it has an R rating. Like this is, it's a difficult movie to, to market. And, and it, it, it's completely hamstrung as well. And that it's an alien movie, but it's an alien movie that can't kill. It's alien. Like the, the thing about these movies that I always get the biggest kick off is the satisfaction of how they beat it in the end. Like that Scorny Weaver punching the airlock open <laughs> twice. And yeah. the, um, the uh, the the way they beat the thing, even in the thing, they don't. But there's a satisfaction of of outwitting it. And when you have a chapter from one of the world's most famous books with one of the world's most famous characters that you are you cannot kill because that's the the, the law it's coming from, then I think you've got to work really really hard to find a, a, a satisfying conclusion. And this movie went for an angle that I know didn't vibe with you, and I don't think it's a very satisfying ending at all. Like, there's none of that. Hell yeah, we beat the monster because it's like well, it's, it didn't no, happen. but and like, and I don't want to spoil exactly what I'm talking about when I say that I legitimately like, I, f- I fucking hated the very ending of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but what I will say is that all they would have to do, like, they could all film, they could film almost exactly the same last scene and modify the intent and it would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's about as much as I can say without going full spoilery, but like, bit, again, like it's Len Wiseman, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's honestly like all it needs, like if someone else, it just needed someone else to look at the script and be like, maybe, maybe the, maybe the intent of the scene is a little different. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been, it could have been great. Um, but as it is, it's just empty sequel bait for mm. a sequel that, like, I mean, I think it would Can't be really good. I, I think it would be interesting to give this movie a sequel, but it would be like, at, from that point, you would have to be like creating a story whole cloth, yeah. right? Like, it's yeah, yeah, uh, it's, sure. a, it's it's sequel bait for something that that even if it we, could happen, almost certainly wouldn't, right? Because yes. of the nature of the material that's being ad- adapted. Yeah. Exactly, it's already written. So, like the next, the next thing's already written. So yeah, and like, to, and, like, and to be fair, like I, I'm fully, fully on board with like just create a story where like a thing happens over the course of a day, you know, while while Dracula is going to Carfax Abbey, you know, like there's there's an opportunity there, but like it's just, I just want I just want films to be okay with being themselves and not needing to set up uh, a sequel. Or and, just don't make it Dracula. Make it like Dracula's buddy is also joining him in Carfax. Or just any, or just, or just any other vampire. Like make an original yeah. vampire. Right? You know. Yeah, it's yeah, a... yeah. But there's, a, I don't. There's, I really, really like this film. Even though it's one of the films where you can look at the cast list and you you can work out what order people are going to die. Like you know exactly when someone is about to die. It's one of it, you've seen this movie done. A million times before if you've watched anything like alien or the thing before and that there's no surprises save one maybe but there's no surprises in the order that anyone dies as soon as you see uh liam uh cunningham help me cunningham and you see david das Malchian, who i really like i think he's he's a brilliant actor he's a great character actor and i i keep he's having a hell of, he's having a hell of a year too i just want him to get like even bigger i wanted to break out of this like character actor thing and just and just be a leading man because i think he's fantastic but you know damn well they're not gonna this isn't like uh um 
deeply see. Like, there's no, there's no like, we're going to kill the famous person quickly just to shock you. you, you well, there's not. This. To be fair, though, there's not really a famous famous enough person to do that. This is almost entirely, well, almost entirely. Yeah, but the, all the people in this movie are either um, up and comers or established character actors. There's no like super famous person at the center of it, right? Like, but but, uh, but out of the out of the cast, there's two people you, that you would recognize immediately. So, and they are not the people that that die first off. I haven't seen Corey Hawkins in anything before. I am 100 percent sure that you have. He's I feel like I want while. to. I feel like I want to because I thought he was really good in this. Like really, uh, really good. I mean, Corey he's Hawkins. Ameri- he's American. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was um, English. Corey Hawkins got his oh. start. He was in the uh, the NWA movie uh, Straight Outta Compton, oh. and then uh, he also had small roles in like I think he was like a soldier in one of the Marvel movies. Um, but then he was in Kong's Call Island. He was in Black Klansman. He was in Six Underground, which I know you watched. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he's in In the Heights, which I'm pretty sure you watched. Um, he's in Macbeth, which I know you watched because we both oh, yeah. loved it. Yeah, he was yeah. Mac- he was Macduff in Macbeth. Like we've definitely seen him in stuff. God damn it! So his British accent is perfect. Uh, <laughs> By the way, because I I thought he was British. Damn it! Yeah. Oh well. Good so yeah, he's but he's been around for a while, but he's he's never had his like he's had his like oh we're gonna put this guy in movies moment now with Straight Outta Compton, but he hasn't really had his like oh this guy's a movie star now moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, I th- the what I was really thinking a lot during this movie in the because it is written it's quite straightforward it's not written badly it's just quite straightforward and i was thinking a lot about the terror the uh the tv show with the uh the boat stuck in yep. the ice with similar kind of thing and and how absolutely perfectly that is written in such a creative way and i was kind of wishing this to find a bit more of a creative voice in its writing and, and the way it went about its story yeah but but it, it it's sometimes when you know exactly what's going to happen, it's still fine if it does it well. And I and it did most of the story oh, yeah. pretty well. A well uh, a well executed story good. is is a good thing. Yeah, it did it did. Uh, on that note, there's a Love, Death, and Robots uh, episode called Bad Traveling, which is uh, a little bit similar in how it starts, but it does find um, an original way to uh, to not just be a monster picking off people one by one. It's a, a similar era vessel gets taken over by like a, a giant crab-like creature, but um, the way they deal with it is slightly different. So I really recommend checking that out. Hmm. And so I kind of, I was thinking about that a lot as well. What if this movie found a bit more of its own voice creativity than just being a monster movie on a boat? And and it never really did that, but I still enjoyed what it was. It was well executed. I enjoyed um the classic vampire design it sold itself a lot on a lot of physical effects but there was a ton of cg in this movie that wasn't entirely successful but um on the yeah, whole but there was, there was a lot was like fine. a lot of the a lot of the gore seemed practical yeah which was i liked it's just mostly there's like a again there's a there's a, a number of moments with the with dracula where you're like there's a lot of makeup on that person and also a shit ton of cg <laughs> yes yeah yeah no, for sure but i um I I found it really enjoyable to watch. I just wish it had stuck the landing. I wish it had found a way. And actually, your suggestion of changing the tone of the end, I think, would have worked perfectly to make it a bit more like It Follows, where they're just um, dealing with it, like accepting and dealing of it. Or so uh, so big, I don't I don't want to talk about it because I don't I don't want to spoil it. But like after we're done recording, I'll tell you what the one how how I would change it to make it I think better. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, but uh and it's just it's not even tone it's literally intent of the scene not tone. yeah i think i think i know and, what you're getting at and, and uh yeah but you so know how many stars, but, how many but stars also but also i just want to point out that you know david desmelchian is having i think an incredible year uh he's been in at this i can't believe this list because I, I looked i just looked it up i can't believe this list he was in ant-man and the wasp quantumania boston strangler the Boogeyman, Oppenheimer, and this. And that's just a hell of a year, no matter how you slice it. Not all of them are great. Like, we we both, I don't think, really liked Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Quantumania. But the Boogeyman is good, or good enough. Like, the Boogeyman is interesting, because I, I also watched that this week. And they're sort of, this and that are both sort of fine. 
that's the mm. other movie I was mentioning really suffers from the like once you see the once you see the monster, oh. it's just not scary anymore. Right, right. Okay. Um, but he's great in Oppenheimer. Um, he's exactly perfectly cast in Boston Strangler, which is not a bad movie at all. Like he's having a, a mm. big year. He's also in. He's also uh, he voiced in some animated stuff as well. So he and he has a, a film that has. He's got another film that he stars in uh, that has just not. It's played the festival circuit, but it's just not out yet. So uh, yeah, he's having it's a great been, year. It's been very satisfying watching him for years and years and years, like creep up the size of his parts. I feel like I don't know this for sure, but I feel like he he probably went the background route and then he definitely, when I first saw him, he was in non-speaking parts and he's just so eye-catching. He Like, he's he's not just the way he looks, but he's got great presence and he's also hugely skilled as a, a the ability to conjure up different characters. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's really, it's really satisfying to see his career trajectory just go up and up. Yep. From like, you know, schizophrenic goon in The Dark Knight to this, I think right. he's a a great trajectory. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how many stars are you giving this then? Oh, it's three. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I sort of I, I see a lot of the people reviewing it who are like, uh, you know, talking about how it's it's a maybe a knock. They, I I totally get and understand the the criticism that it's basically a knockoff of better movies, but I still think it's well executed. You know, like it's not perfect, but when it this is one of those movies where people when people say like. You know where where are the mid range movies for adults? Uh, there's one in theaters right now, and you can go watch it. Like, <laughs> and it's on demand, so you can watch it. So yeah, three stars. Mm-hmm. And yes. you? Yeah, three for me as well. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's good. <clears throat> yeah, it's perfectly fine. It's a perfectly and like we. Uh, I watched it at home, and the option was to buy or rent, and I took a chance and bought it. And like, I'll definitely watch it again. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, shall we move on? Uh, let's move on to yes, our, yes. our second summer catch-up movie, uh, which is the uh, children's animated film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, and why don't you take us through the very basics of the plot, uh, Simon? Well, um, if it, how can I summarize this? Um, in a half shell, they're the heroes fall. In this day and age, who can ask for more? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. It's another origin movie of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and like Batman, I never want to see. I don't ever need to see the origin of the turtles ever again. But it's a Seth Rogen re reboot because there's a, also two other animated re, um, Turtles re-reboots going on at the moment and this is the probably the biggest profile one. It's uh, a movie as opposed to like a Nickelodeon TV show and it owes a huge debt in style to Spider-Verse as does so many other things because it was so influential. Um, it's got a mix of very chunky almost claymation looking animation with lots of hand-drawn um, uh, highlights and expressions for, for sound effects and things. Yeah. And the, the difference with this, I mean, you know the origin, it tells the origin of, of the the ooze going into the sewer and turning these four turtles into uh, mutating them into humanoid form and being trained by a humanoid rat to do ninjutsu and then fighting baddies. And the the key difference here is that they are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the teenage thing here has been interpreted as, like, 13 instead of 18. And if you are a fan of the other movies, including the um, live-action movie from the 90s? Yeah. 80s? 90s. 90s or 80s? Which is a bit clunky, but it's 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 got a good heart. All the other te- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle adaptations... Uh, treat teenagers like 18, 19. And yeah. this this uses them as like 13, maybe 14 maximum. And Well, no, has... they're in, in the story, they're 15. Like they are, well, they're exposed yeah. to the use. It literally says 15 sure. years later. Oh, does it? But, 15, oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, young yeah. teens and old teens. And they're younger teens, anyways, okay. the point. Yes. Age appropriate 
um, voice actors and they slightly they, they have a little bit of fun with the um, their relationship with Bebop and Rocksteady and the other mutants and um, uh, the big bad is, is Superfly instead of uh, Shredder or Kang and uh, or is it Krang? I, I can't keep, tra- keep track of all the, all the Kangs does, doesn't matter um, but it uh, didn't really work for me I there's it's it's uh, got some really good fight scenes. It's very dynamically directed, um, but I think the decision to make them really the younger teens. Uh, it's um, there's lots of like kind of references to that age group that I just I just found them annoying. I just found their kind of shtick really annoying, and uh, also I uh, I didn't. I don't think I realized it was going to be like a Batman Begins kind of deal. It was them at the very, very beginning of what do we even do with our weapons? Like, what do we even do in this situation? And um, uh, I also found the art style quite ugly. And all once I realized that it reminded me... So the claymation style is kind of uh, got uh, over-exaggerated caricature style of bodies and almost like uh, uh, slow, lower fl- frame rate, um, like clay, clayish bodies with those accented highlights. And it really reminded me of the MTV style, like, you know, Celebrity Deathmatch, that kind of animation. The And uh, I just found and it quite ugly. I, sorry, I sort of <clears throat> I sort of see that. Um, I, I, so I didn't love it, but I think it works. Um for me, like I actually really like the choice to make them a little younger. I think it makes it clear that, um, as a person who grew up when the Ninja Turtles were like coming up in terms of like their pop culture influence, um, I think it's really important and interesting, but also important that this film is clearly not meant for me. Um, like this is not. I think the choice to make them fifteen makes it clear to to the audience. Uh, but also in a way that I think it hasn't to the to the filmmakers before, at least that I've seen, because I haven't seen every every Ninja Turtles thing. But like, it makes it clear to the filmmakers that like we are making a a movie for children, and not a movie for the forty year olds who were children when this was new. And I think that that's important, um, and I think it works. Like, I don't think you're wrong that some of their shtick was annoying, but I find fifteen year olds annoying. So I don't, I don't know, I, like that squares for me pretty well. Um, and I do think that even though they were annoying, I think that the casting of uh, age appropriate voice actors, because I think they're all you know, 17, 18, 19, um, was a, a good choice because they didn't just sound like adults doing kids voices. They sounded yeah. very natural in their in the in character. Um, mm-hmm. And even though they are like, sure, they're annoying 15-year-olds. Uh, I will concede that point. But they're also clearly four brothers who love each other and have like loving, dynamic, lived-in relationships that don't need to be like exposited on screen. You can just tell from watching them for three minutes that they are a set of four brothers, right? Like they mm-hmm. all of the writing in terms of their relationship, their relationship with Splinter with their dad is also really, really well written. Um and all of the motivations, especially Splinter's motivation for keeping them in the shadows, in the sewers, is, I think, very well written and very well executed. My problem with this movie is that it feels about 20, 20 minutes too long. Um, it's, uh, I think it sags a little in the, in the middle, and I think that it has, it has, basically it has a chance for like a very resonant, thematic, thematically on-point ending, and then it keeps going for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all of the points that they're trying to make in that last 20 minutes, um, which to be clear is gorgeously animated, but I think it all, almost all of it could have been handled by taking the best parts of those sort of two endings and putting them together um, mm-hmm. to create something a, a little more cohesive and B, it would sort of maybe tighten up the rest of the runtime as well. Um, but I just, dis- I sort of disagree as well. I found, I found the art style, uh, I found it very interesting and dynamic and 
I think ugly is the wrong word, but it's very striking for sure. Um, but and even though it owes a huge debt to Spider Verse, because as every time we watch an animated film these days, that's what we say, right? Because it is so influential. Um, but uh, what was I trying to say? Basically, that like the art style is manages to also be very distinct within that, right? Like mm-hmm. where because this is very much a mix of like. Um, it almost looks like the initial drawings were done by by children. <laughs> I kind of I kind of love that about it, um, yeah. and it is a bit you know blobby and and outsized proportions. But I absolutely love that like if there's like steam in the background or like mist in the background, like that's just like crayon or pencil crayon. Um, yeah. uh, there's a great there's a great scene. It's just a single shot where they're. Um, they're looking down from a building down to a street and there's street lights and the, like the light coming out of the street lights is obviously just like pencil crayon squiggles. And I love, I love that. I love that kind of detail. I think it's, I mean, if you don't like the art style, which is totally fair, you're not really gonna maybe agree, but I think that like the level of care and detail in the art is incredible. And maybe the, maybe, I mean, I would argue that the art style in Across the Spider-Verse is better, but this has at least the same level of care, attention, and detail. And mm-hmm. and I love that. So, I, again, I didn't love this film, um, but I think I liked it. I think, I think it's the opposite of the last film. I think that I liked it more than you did. So, Yeah, I did like... I liked the, the, the hand-drawn aspects, and I liked the care. And also, honestly, a lot of the shots, especially the action, the fighting shots, are really recreatively done. There's yeah, a great, for sure. great um, combined fighting scene where they they decide to hit these three sort of gang groups, and it cuts them across. So it, it basically choreographs the same fight but cuts between the three groups in a pan across the screen. It's fantastic, and there's a car chase later with with lots of panning around, and there's some really good creativity in it. Um, I will also mainly- say. I will also say best use of no diggity since the first pitch print. <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack was on point for sure. Um, yeah. The uh, it's just the I I didn't I found the character models just I didn't like looking at them. I didn't like, and I think that's so important when you when you how you engage with something animated is how it makes you feel when you the, the visuals like hit you. Yeah, I that's like fair. The, back, the background accents, but the the main models i just didn't i just found them really i don't i'm not a big fan of caricature i think that's probably a big part of it as well and uh i just uh, I, I found it found i wouldn't annoying. i wouldn't go so far as to say that any of it is caricature um, oh, i mean it, it is i mean if, the, if i mean perhaps like sure the turtles kind of look like blobs but they've always kind of looked like blobs um it's but like the human humans, really no i mean I would go. I would go. I would say exaggerated, but I I would disagree that they are caricatures. Personally, um, like they're exaggerated in the same way that like I I but I prefer I prefer exaggerated features in animation. Like I don't. I actually find animation where they're trying to look as realistic as possible to be super boring, and uh, I would rather look at these ugly. Uh, if if they are ugly, if they I would rather look at these like ugly misshapen characters than like ones that look like real people most of the time. So I don't, know. I don't want I don't I don't think there's a big spectrum between character and, and reality. Like something I mean when you look at Spider Verse, those aren't real people, but I love that art design. I I Yeah, and that's fair. Like, I mean like that approach. I mean in this case like, you know, taste is taste and I don't again, I don't think I I wouldn't go so far as to say I love it. I just, I just personally don't think it's ugly either. I think that's too far. But you know, taste is taste. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, the rest of the voice cast is on point as well. You know, I love that it seems to know this movie has a lot of mutants in it, and I love that it doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't really overuse any of them. Uh, pretty, but then, pretty great casting too. And but you also have like in the background you have. Uh, Natasha Dimitriou and Ice Cube and uh, Hannibal Buress and like all, all these like great performers who are delivering short 
interesting lines. Rose Byrne has one of my favorite line reads in the whole movie. And she's like, I think she was doing, she should probably at some point she was in the recording booth and they were like, no, no Rose, um, more Australian, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it works great. And then you also like, and I think of all the cast, uh, like, Again, I think the kids are great, but I think that Jackie Chan is inspired as as Splinter mm-hmm. in this film. Mm-hmm. And I also really like that, like, the way they come to be ninjas. Like, the way they've always come to be ninjas in the, in the media that I've seen before is because there's some, like, connection to ninjutsu. And in this case, that that is just not the case. Yes. And, no, uh, I, and, and uh, I really <laughs> love that choice and detail, the way they decide to, to learn to be ninjas is great. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, I think it's good. I think it's uh, good, not great. I think most of my biggest problem is that I just think it's a bit, a bit pacey and a bit overlong. So, um, but I, you know, I also look. I will probably watch it more times. I think it, you know, it's fun. The parts that are good are great, and then it was also too long. Is my problem. So on the Jackie Chan note, if you uh, if you are interested in watching another movie where Jackie Chan voices a ninja master training um, for. Uh, senseis to fight back against an evil, then I recommend the Lego Ninjago movie. Uh, uh, he's also is, he's great in that for sure. Which is probably my the I I one of my funniest one of the funniest things a Lego movie has ever done was have a character who is clearly a robot and speaks like a robot, and nobody ever refers to it. I just think that just tickles me the right way. That Doesn't is, he also is, like? insist that he's not a robot at yes. several times. Yes, of course I'm not a robot. As my yeah. mother always used to say, <laughs> and like modem noises, and no one ever refers to it. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> That's yeah. totally my humor. Um, so how many stars are you giving for Tottles? Uh, three stars for the baby tortoises for me. I see. Yeah. Uh, I I really I really 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 wanted to like this movie, uh, so I'm a bit disappointed. It's a two star movie for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I I see where you're going with it, and I uh, yeah, it's yeah, I get it. That makes sense. So uh, again, for me, I think it's good not good not great would be the the way to sum it up. Uh, I mean, I hope they make a sequel because they sure have opened the door at the end. The very obvious door is opened at the end. Yeah, what's and, interesting uh, to me is actually just on that note is that what's interesting to me is that this movie also does some like ridiculous sequel bait, but it's interesting that they really the only difference is that it is a post credit scene or a mid credit scene, I guess yeah. in this case, uh, yeah. which because it's like not part of the main narrative, I'm sort of fine with it because I've been wanted to. I can yeah, just it. absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. it's totally differently. Um, but good, I'm yeah. sure 15 year old boys are going to love it. <laughs> yeah, it's actually interesting. We haven't really talked about it. I uh, uh, how your kids reacted to it because I think did you watch it with them or not? Uh, yeah, we watched it together and they laughed. They really, really liked the the mutant ensemble and how distinct they are and how they inter- talk together. And it's kind of nice. It's not really a spoiler, but when they all kind of realize they just want to be buddies. It's just, surreal. I like moments like that in film and yeah. they, um, they liked it more than I did. Uh, it's very interesting to watch their reactions afterwards. Like they, the main reaction afterwards was them singing uh, four non blondes. What's going on at the top of their lungs at 10 o'clock last night um, with me trying to get them to bed because that's used brilliantly in this movie and they'd not heard the song before and so they put it on and sang to it really badly for about 20 minutes I mean that's what you do with four non-blondes though uh, <laughs> but, but also like, I would like say it. just as a side note like we talked like the the soundtrack to this movie is incredible and the score which is a Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score is, <laughs> yes. also, is also incredible I had no idea I had no idea they did the score that's great yeah <laughs> It's interesting because uh, my nephews, who I spent some time with this weekend, uh, they saw it in cinemas with their dad about a week ago, and uh, they're they're a bit younger; they're seven and nine, but they loved it. So, mm, yeah, I'm sure. I think yeah. again, I think I think for the target audience, it's going to do really well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's uh, wrap it up there. We've talked about our two movies. Um, if you have liked what you've heard. 
uh, feel free to support us. There's several ways to do that. We do have a Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash mcsimpson. And the lowest tier is only $2 Canadian a month. And you do get our weekly bonus chats along with that. Um, but you could also, you know, tell your friends, hit that subscribe button, smash the like button, give us a five-star review. All those things would help get us in front of more earballs, which we very much appreciate. Um, uh, I'm totally drawing a blank on what I say next. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, we also, we record this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish Nations. Uh, that is the entirety of the show for this evening, so thank you for joining us and for listening on this awesome Friday. Thanks, bye.